the driver experience. It's not the name of my MBA thesis or a startup pitch deck, but for most of trucking's existence, it took a backseat to things such as customer or business needs. Like the chicken or the egg, trucking often asks, do you start a carrier with drivers or customers who need things hauled? What often gets overlooked is the well-being of those who haul things. This is due to an outsized focus on those who need things hauled. Are there ways to turn the tide and focus on those behind the wheel and not just behind the office desk? We're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson, enterprise trucking carrier expert here at Freight Waves, coming to you from our studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The experience of a driver can differ greatly based on their kind of job. Over-the-road drivers often spend weeks out on the road away from home, and their classification often will have dramatic impacts on their quality of life. It can be an isolating and solitary experience with most human interaction in the form of a friendly cashier or attempting to haggle with security guards or dock workers. The food is often prepackaged or highly processed and success at this role involves working upwards of 10 to 11 hours driving each day. This doesn't even begin to address the concerns of how drivers get paid. You have company drivers who are paid wages based on percentage of the load's value or paid per mile. There are owner-operators who, like contractors, provide their own equipment but operate independently or under another carrier's authority. Additionally, some carriers utilize agents, kind of like a freight nesting doll, with carriers within a carrier, often taking a percentage cut of their revenue in exchange for customer or freight access. So far, driver experience is often talked about in terms of technology applications or forms of automation. What I'm curious about is finding out if there are other ways to make life on the road a little bit easier without downloading something. Can trucking create a lifestyle that lives up to the rich history and tradition involved? Because it's one of the most crucial jobs in the economy. Joining us next to talk about his experience as a driver and business owner is FreightWaves Rooster James Bowen. Prior to joining FreightWaves, Rooster is a 15-year trucking veteran and social media influencer who is a part of the very talented team at Back the Truck Up. For those unaware, Back the Truck Up is a freight culture site by truckers and industry veterans covering the latest news, players, and virtual trends of the industry with blogs, podcasts, and videos. I'm super very excited to welcome Rooster. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, how we doing, Thomas? We're doing pretty well. Uh, super, super excited to have you on. I always wanted to pick your brain because I know you've been in the industry. You've lived it. You've ate it, breathed it. And so, you know, looking at it, starting off, a lot of these guys start off as a company driver within their first few months or years. And just looking at it, like, what is it like, kind of? You're fresh out of CDL school. You're thrown in with a carrier. What are what are some of the things that they're going through? Uh. First off, no, great being on the show. Uh, when you first start off as a company driver, you're fresh out of school. Uh, first thing you're going to do, a couple of weeks, you're going to get stuck with a, a driver trainer, going through procedures, learning uh, basically book work, paperwork, make sure everything's turned in on time, uh, learning certain company-specific de details or nuances they want you to do. 
it, it's kind of be it can be a little bit bothersome for at first, you know, trying to learn the ins and outs of trucking. And you, a lot of times they find themselves, all right, I learned how to drive a truck. I did not learn how to live out on the road. So there's the trucking culture side you got to learn about, you know, uh, getting out outside of your comfort zone, learning how to take care of yourself, how to make sure you uh, get basic necessities, food, drink, uh, finding time to take care of yourself through uh, stopping and finding uh, proper places to shower. Uh, it, it's a little bit bothersome at first. It takes about, a, I would say, probably about a good couple of months for one to get acclimated from living at home to living out on the road. So that's almost like, I think that's something, you had a great point, where they taught you to drive. They didn't teach you how to live. And I think for a lot of folks, I was very surprised as well. Trucking is just as much a lifestyle change fundamentally than it is just operating the vehicle. I mean, is that something that they don't really show in the schools where you're out for weeks on the road? Like even finding food, it seems, could be a problem. A lot of times they don't. They A lot of these trucking training schools, they want you to be able to, to know your laws, know how to operate a vehicle, know how to do a proper pre-trip, walk around inspection, get your license. Then after that, you know, I don't like to use the term throw you to the wolves, but, you know, you're passed over to a driver trainer that's, Hopefully he has experience. You know, there's rumors out there going out at, you know, 90 days they're allowing drivers to train other drivers, which that is not something I'm feel comfortable with. Uh, I was a driver trainer for Warner myself for a couple of months. So by that time I was a 10 year veteran. So I was completely comfortable teaching, comfortable teaching somebody how to be a truck driver. But, you know, it, it like I said, it is a lifestyle. It's a culture change. And, you know, it, you need to be taught that aspect as well as, you know, being a, you know, being coming a truck driver. And speaking of like culture as well, a lot of schools, even from my mega carrier experience, uh, talking about becoming an owner operator. So you start as a company driver, force dispatch, you have to do what they say. So they tell you, well, lease a driver, <laughs> lease a truck, become an owner operator, be, you know, own your own vehicle. Uh, what are some of the experiences for folks when they do it? It feels like, you know, you get stuck in one way, the owner operator is a way out, but for many uh, I've heard stories of how they often make about the same after everything's taken out. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of how, you know, everything falls. You know, you you live as a company driver making your 25, 30 cent a mile. You know, sometimes I'm seeing advertisements for 50 cent a mile nowadays, you know, just for inflation. But, you know, it all winds up being the same once everything gets taken out. Then when, you know, you decide to say, hey, I'm, hang this up. I'm going to go get my own truck, my own trailer. Well, guess what? Now you have all those responsibilities that you passed off to the company being a company driver. You have insurance, you have fuel, you have tax, tax of titles, you have tolls, you have a free pass, best pass, easy pass, whatever you want to use for your, but your tolls, your way station bypass services, you have all that taken account. And guess what? Truth be told, you do wind up making about the same, but the difference is you're your own boss. You can do what you want. You don't have somebody you know, breathing out your back as much. You still do. It's, it's just, instead of having a dispatch, you now have brokers. You have agents that are now breathing down your neck. Make sure you're on time every time and you know, everything's right. Paperwork's turned in. Everybody's paid off and everybody's happy at the end. Speaking of agents, when you talked about that, uh, I know with your experiences, you actually got to be an agent as well. 
What are some of the biggest differences? I remember in my experience, agent fleets were kind of fleets within a fleet. But is there uh, any big changes whenever you become an agent within a carrier? Does it make things more complicated or are there opportunities? All right, let me correct you. I was never an agent up under a carrier. I was a, a business capacity owner for Landstar. That's probably where you're getting a little yeah, mixed yeah, up. Yeah, no, there, I apologize but... on that. Oh, correction on that. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never a broker. I never sat in a broker chair. I don't want that smoke. <laughs> but, you know, being a, a, being a, a BCO or Landstar, you're uh, a trucking company owner. You're still having to use load boards. Uh, you're having to look for freight. Making sure you, you know, getting the revenue turned in not only for yourself but the company you're leased up under, and you know, uh, the one of the questions is, you know, do you stay up under that board or do you kind of work outside the box? Well, you know, truth be told, a lot of these uh, company branded load boards, Schneider, JB Hunt, Landstar, Werner, others, a lot of times they're pulling off the pull off the general contractor freight pool you find up under. Uh, that load board, one, two, three load board, you know, they're just taking these, these loads off of their boards, putting them on ours. I don't know if you want to call that double brokering or not, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. And you're still putting yourself up under these loads, getting them delivered. And, you know, sometimes you get a lead or you get a, somebody that wants to, you know, wants you to hold their freight for them. You just simply call over to, you know, the agent's broker, say, hey, I got a lead for you. You want to look into it. And, you know, usually a couple hours, a couple days later, you'll get an email, say, hey, uh, this all worked out. Do you want to run these loads for the guy? I say, hey, you know, put me on the put me on the freight. And, you know, here comes the freight bill. And that's pretty cool because I know when I was a broker, that's almost the, the best state is you have a regular consistent carrier running some lanes. You just send it to them. Your life's easier. Their life's easier. Uh, I think a lot of drivers don't understand. It's a lot of work calling and like, we called it stripping loads where you just called the list of carriers and got hung up on half the time and they screamed at you. And then <laughs> one of them finally wanted to run the load. And so, you know, looking at that and from your experience, um, you know, are, are there anything like, looking at the quality of life, would you recommend people be like a, 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 the owner operator model, a, a company driver, or is there anything that you found through your experience that uh, folks need to know when they're starting out? Research, research, research. Dig into these companies that are promising these the magnificent $100,000 a year paydays. Look into these rates that are offering 50 cent a mile, 55 cent a mile. Is that introductory? Is that permanent? Is that something you work into over time? You know, a lot of times you see that. And when you get up there, you sign your, sign your life away on these contracts. You know, guess what? You're starting at 22, 23, 25% a mile, and you got to work your way up through tenure to get to that 50 cent a mile. You know, going to be an owner operator, back check these brokers, back check all these companies that you're involved with, you know. Read the reviews, check the Better Business Bureau sites, look on Safer, see, you know, see if there's any information there you can glean if they're running a legit operation or unit. Their F their CSA scores through the roof and they're not looking real good. It's it's really a research deal when you want to step into this business. You know, always look into who you're dealing with. I feel the same way like when I started with a small carrier and even when I was a broker, it's almost like both sides are busy trying to research each other to make sure they're not going to have any problems down the line. 
Uh, and that's such an interesting thing, like you said, with the brokers. Were there, was there anything from your experience working with brokers that uh, were kind of some huge red flags that uh, you came across? Uh, one, going through the reviews, you know, how do, are they paying promptly or are they waiting to the 60th day to, to pay you back for what your, your settlement is? If they have issues, if you need a power lump or how are they about uh, making the lumper pay? You know, I feel going like the through, lumper pay you know, was huge. I know that. I got stories of that. Holy cow. So yeah, like you said, <laughs> trying to get lumper pay would be an absolute horrible thing. And even as a broker, I hated having to authorize it because then you had to go through their thing and had to get the code and the customer pays it. But detention and layover were big ones that I experienced. Was that something you also had trouble with just trying to, I guess, get paid in a timely manner whenever stuff messes up? It, well, you know, it, it's according to the cut. According to who you're dealing with, sometimes you do have to fight because you always have to. You got to get the time stamp. You got to get the name. You get get the phone number. You know they have to verify that you were sitting there for that certain amount of time. You know, not, not try to swindle them for out for whatever. You know, and a lot of times, whoever you contract with, whoever you're broke with, they have a guideline. You know, you have to be there two hours, three hours, four hours before that clock even starts. So. Sometimes if you're there a short time, you, you kind of think to yourself, is this worth fighting for? Because you're not going to get it for a month, two months. Or if you've been there, unfortunately, overnight and, you know, you had to sleep at the sleep at the dock, you know, you have you got a, a 10, 12, 14 hour detention that you want to fight tooth and nail for it. It becomes, you know, more of a personal preference. Do you want to sweat over? I know fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, or if you have put in overnight staying, you know you're looking at as much detention as the load paid. You know, <laughs> do you do you really want to jeopardize that agent, that a uh, driver agent relationship, <laughs> trying to get that money? That's the craziest part. We hear about relationships all the time, and you know between shippers, carriers, and brokers. Uh, in this market, is there any difference in relationship when times are booming for truckers and then when, it, you know, freight starts softening up? Does it change any of the dynamics in your experience? I like to call this game of favors. While you're, uh, you're back when we were $5 a mile high on the hog, you know, you know, it was, it was a, uh, I hate to use the term, but a feed me more <laughs> situation, you know, take it all you can do. You know, you do kind of stress that relationship between yourself and your agent, your broker, trying to get what you can as the highest amount you can. Now everything's flip-flopped around. We're looking at, you know, 250, 225 a mile, and you're kind of paying, you know, calling those debts or unfortunately sometimes paying those debts, uh, trying to stay busy, trying to make ends meet, trying to uh, keep the revenue going. You know, nobody wants to have to sit around today waiting for a better rate, the rate to increase or lane to get better, you know. I was the worst part out here is uh, the drivers will say, well, I'm just going to wait today. And I think that like for a lot of drivers starting out, I don't think a lot of people understand that half the battle is you have to stay moving. You yeah. know, you can't wait at all. And I know some market carriers that did that. Uh, were there were there any tips or tricks that you noticed as you were driving and when you were operating uh, for ways to stay moving? Do you just have to bite the bullet sometimes and reposition? Or is there ever a time like it's strategically, if you're in a market, it, you know, it pays to wait? One thing is to research the lanes. The lanes are a constantly evolving creature. What could be paying great one day can be completely trashed the next. Certain lanes stay great through the weekend. Certain lanes are only a Monday through Friday. Learn where the money is. Uh, 
best advice I can give to somebody just starting out the uh, the triangle, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, that always seems to be a, a good uh, a good paying lane throughout the year, that, that three-state triangle. Uh, seasonality also plays into, plays into issues. You know, a lot of areas that are a lot of, are haul a lot of produce out of South Florida, South Georgia. At certain times of years, those lanes are great. Certain times of year, you don't want to be caught dead there. If always another thing is to learn your headhaul lanes and your backhaul lanes. Certain areas are great coming in and out of. Certain areas, you'll get a high paying load going into it. Then once you get there, you everything is you know basement rates. You you know sometimes you thinking, hey, I'd rather justify paying a deadhead out of there than a waste of time going to a shipper having to deal with hauling load out of there. You know, that's a, a weird thing, weird line of thinking. But sometimes, you know, hey, if I could deadhead out of here five hours later, be back into the headhaul lanes, you know, that might be worth it. I feel that way with parts of Colorado and Utah. When I was working, uh, you would get stuck in there. And as a small carrier with a few trucks, you had to make that call. And sometimes the stuff you got back was like bells of hay or agricultural machinery. And I think that a lot of drivers, they don't think about how important it is to see what the heck you're hauling. Because after doing a few trailer washes and I got yelled at, uh, it almost pays to pay attention and research what the heck it is. Did you ever haul any of the crazy agriculture? Or what was your best thing? What you, would you like hauling the most? Unfortunately, I had the, the uh, time of hauling uh, pine bark mulch inside a drive-in trailer. And all that sand, all that dirt, all those little bitty pieces of pine bark. That was a very fun time trying to blow that trailer out. Because it was in the dead of winter and washing out the trailer winter, it, it does not dry out that quick as it does in the middle of summer. So, uh, yeah, it was not a fun time after that. I feel like if I had mine, it would be apples. So I did a repowered a load of apples. And literally it was just, uh, they, they put the chute and they shot the apples into it and it was all apples. And mm. so what happened was this was from like Montana going to Michigan for the apple processing. Kids you not, by the time it gets there, the bottom layer of apples because of the vibrations, liquefied and made like a form of yeah. apple fermented brandy at the bottom. And so they unloaded the top part, but you're left with this sticky residue of apples. And I've like never seen that before until uh, working with brokers and spot loads. Cause you work in a mega carrier, you're like palletized, preload, drop and hook, whatever, you know. Um, that kind of segues into my thoughts. With your experiences at a large carrier versus a small one, were there any, for a lot of brokers, they wonder, you know, they think all carriers are alike. Were there any big differences between being at the mega carrier and then kind of going it on your own? It, it's it's a little bit different. You know, when you're in a mega carrier, you know, you have all that, the, the capabilities they have, you know, the big payroll, the big war chest buildup, the big reputation. They have the ability to buy out these contracts in bulk. You know, sometimes they don't really care what the lane is as long as they make the money and make their you know, keep your stockholders happy. When you you transition to being a solo owner operator, that's completely different. You basically have your name, your reputation itself live off on. You really don't have a, a big war chest, you know, to buy out contracts in bulk. You just have to, like I said earlier, build up your relationship with the brokers and agents in order to get them to trust you to take these higher priority, higher paying loads. And that's what I like. I wanted to elaborate on that. I'm hearing a lot from like uh, Avery Vice, some guys with like FTR and a few other ACT research. There's been a big thing talking about how 
these owner operators that left on their own when the market was hot, uh, when the market cooled, they'll often come back into a large carrier. And so, yeah. I mean, from my experience, I just saw maybe two or three extra fleet managers and they happen to be owner ops. But is that something that commonly happens, at least from what you've heard or what you've seen to where, uh, you know, it's like the tide. When the tide goes out, you just head back into the large carrier. Does that happen as frequently or is that something that like maybe only a handful will and the rest will exit? Well, you know, there's that you know infamous three-year freight cycle where you know you're high on the hog for a couple of, couple of years, maybe then everything drops back down. It's you, as we're seeing now, we're seeing you know owner operators turn in their turn in their authority resignations to FMCSA and Mass right now. A lot of those guys are now in the job pool, looking for a make carrier position or. What I would do personally, I would look for like a smaller LTL, you know, somebody like UX Express, Avid Express, somebody like that to, you know, do local work where you can be home every night. That's one a lot of one, a lot of reasons drivers get out to make carrier fleets. You know, they they stick out there for two two three months at a time, and then you know you never get home time. That strains the family relationships. That's where the reason a lot of people like to look at LTLs when they. Know get off the truck so they could be home every night or multiple nights of the week, you know, to try to you know maintain that presence at home. I think a lot of people don't understand how important it is for that home time and what happens when you mess it up. Is there anything that, like, uh, uh, from your experience, was there anything that could help it out, or does it just depend on the company you picked, or would you have to figure out your routes? Was there any way to somewhat predict or make sure you went home more frequently? Well, like I was saying, you know, researcher you're getting involved with, you know. Uh, and another thing, unfortunately, when you get into these dedicated fleets inside of mega carriers, they actually, they'll actually, it'd be paying less than it would be OTR. Well, you know, unfortunately, inside the culture that a lot of these mega carriers think that home time, you know, should be part of the pay package. It should not be, you know. You shouldn't have to be a force to take pay reduction to be home every night, you know. So they'll actually charge. So they'll say, well, that's an interesting thought, actually. So basically for mega carriers, they'll say, well, you can get home every night on these dedicated runs, but at the same time, you won't make as much. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's a lot of a lot of times if you go and research them and check their, you know, their rates per mile from their offerings OTR to what they're offering on their dedicated runs, a lot of times you'll see a three to five cent reduction in, in RPM. Holy cow. And a little bit like kind of final question here. You guys have started back the truck up. It's for drivers. It's a culture site. Uh, for a lot of people who haven't heard of it are really interested. Y'all just started a podcast. Could you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you all work on? Back the truck up is a, a freight culture site for truckers, by truckers, myself, Justin Martin, Ingrid Brown. You know, we're over the road veterans. We understand the business. We're able to take the, the, C-suite level information that freight waves and sonar provides, break it down into stuff that, you know, drivers and people on the dock can understand, you know, uh, subjects we cover is basically, you know, topics that are really hitting the industry. We just went through the uh, C.H. Robertson's uh, SCOTUS rejection on Sertori. You know, that's going to be a very big deal between relationships between drivers and brokers now. We're They'll have to be a lot more safety-minded to try to avoid these nuclear verdicts. Uh, we also went through the unfortunate uh, tragedy in San Antonio yesterday with the uh, 
possible human trafficking situation when the 46 people died, 16 in the hospital. Uh, other things we look into are, you know, mistreatment of truck drivers, mistreatment stuff, you know, anything that would, you know, bring attention to the trucking and driving industry, you know. I'm very excited to, uh, now that we have it up and we have stuff coming out to uh, direct people to check it out as well. Because I think for a lot of folks, we talk about high level, we just don't talk about what's actually going on. So thank you so much for coming on, Rooster. Not mention, don't mention it, Thomas. You know, uh, great talking to you. It's been a long time since Arkansas, man. Oh, exactly. We'll look for you in November as well. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's going to be a wrap, though, for today's show. But you can catch us Tuesdays, 1 p.m. Eastern. And normally, either pre-recorded or live, flip a coin. We'll find out. Join us next week.